0: Hey, guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1-800-69-BETUS. That is my you receive 125% sign-up bonus by using bonus us code SST125. That's SST-125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The racebooks has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Bet U.S.
1: In the South, it's always cottage football season. And the king of cottage football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports
2: Today. College football on the Chuck Oliver show. I Certainly appreciate everybody getting in for your college football talk. Two hours of it every single day. Brian Haydad talking a little Hale State uh, in hour one, talking Mississippi State as they head to Auburn uh, for what should be about as competitive a matchup as you're going to find in the SEC. And Auburn covered better uh, this past Saturday, even on the road, uh, against a talented group of receivers for sure. Calzada, I mean, my gosh, he's got a howitzer. But still inexperienced and kind of growing into what he's going to be. But he's a fine quarterback. But, I mean, some of the the receivers, some of the perimeter pieces, really impressive. And Auburn played well. Roger McCreary had his best game in the entire year. Uh, but covering four or five or, I don't know, six, whatever they send out somehow, uh, let one of the linemen throw it. Um, it's a different deal against Mississippi State. It really is. And so the Auburn secondary and the back seven, honestly, maybe they'll even they'll run zone blitzes and drop defensive ends into coverage. They're going to have to do everything possible to try to fill all those zones. And uh, it's going to be a big, big challenge for them. But again, contrast in styles, and it should be a really competitive game. So I appreciate Brian Hay- Haydad coming on. Uh, David Nuno, com. We're going to talk a and as they head to the weekend. And again, Jimbo Fisher, I was talking about, uh, I think he will pass by the LSU job if it winds up being offered. Uh, I, I really believe he's on the verge of, of what everybody is expecting there in College Station, that that blank space they've got on the front of that trophy, just add the year. Uh, that's what they're building to. We'll, we'll talk big picture. We'll talk micro level as well with David Nuno. And then bottom of the hour, uh, Eddie Radosevich. Staff writer, videographer, Sooner Scoop. That's part of the Rivals Network. We would talking a little OU as they continue to win and not impress the committee at all. Now, here is the truth about Oklahoma and anybody else. If you continue, because there's only, I think, five undefeateds now. Because two of them went down last weekend. If you continue to win Cincinnati, um, if you continue to win OU, the committee going to be out of good options. They're going to be out of options that would keep you out. And Oklahoma's not supposed to be out anyway but they are supposed to earn it. They are supposed to play well. Game control, I believe, is the verbiage that they want to use. And so uh, we will talk to, again, um, Eddie Radosevich, bottom of the hour. But right now, let me get you up to date.
1: Everything you need to know about college football every single
2: day. This is CFB 365. And there's all manner of news in college football today. Do we know Jim Mora is back in the game? Like Jimmy Mora is who he was and it was jim moore jr not the saints and the colts not the old man jim moore has been hired by uconn to rebuild that program rebuild that team um adam anderson's turned himself in chaz malusi the transfer from clemson is going to wisconsin He's out for the rest of the year, and he had had some big Saturdays for him already. So all that stuff's going on. Uh, consider yourself up to date. Turn that music down. I want to talk about uh, LSU and one specific. Consider yourself up to date. Yes, after those headlines, because there's something that just it really caught my eye this morning. And I just I read either the transcripts or sometimes I'll be like doing show prep, and I'll have a press conference on, and I'm kind of listening to it as I go along. I was reading about Coach O's press conference. And, or excuse me, his coach's show. And I went back to, I was like, wait a minute, how many? And I started counting, he started listing. Coach Ogeron on the coach's show started giving news about players. And it's the same thing. Every coach does this every single week, including Coach O. Part of the show every week is all right, this guy's coming back from injury. This guy is hurt. We're not sure about him for Saturday or he's out or whatever. You always do that, and it's really important to the fans. And so you give them, you throw them some bones. From the coaches' show, Coach O says, Chase Hines is out for the rest of the season. Anthony Bradford's out for the rest of the season. Offensive line mate Ed Ingram will be out for at least a week, but he may return. If you start adding up the, again, the two additional names that Coach O has now added to the list, there might be 15 players who started, who have started this year who are out for the rest of the season, or excuse me, currently out because Ed Ingram, he may return. Andre Anthony, stud defensive end who was going to lead the team in sacks, I believe. Kayshawn Butte, I got nothing but respect for Traylon Burks. Butte is a boot, booty or Butte? I've heard it both ways. Yeah, it's got the t- it's got two T's and it's got the little mark above the E. So I say Butte. I say Butte as well. Um, he's as good a receiver as there is in the SEC or potentially in America. Totally different than Traylon Burks. They deal it out in different ways, but. An unbelievable talent out. Bradford out. Major Burns. Joe Evans. Allie Gay. Stud out. Told you about Hines and Ingram. Uh, how about Derek Steenley and Eli Ricks? Out. Out. Sage Ryan out. Mason Smith. Dan, you watch LSU most weeks. I think Mason Smith can become the best D lineman on the team. Yeah,
3: and when he's not uh, in a boot and on a scooter. Good lord.
2: I th- it might be. It might be fourteen players who have started who won't start this weekend, that means that at one point you looked at the depth chart and said of everybody we have who plays guard or defensive tackle or receiver, out of all 85 kids in the preferred walk-ons who could have gone to McNeese State who but wanted to be at LSU anyway, out of all of the kids I picked him to be the best guy at that spot so he's going to start, he's out. And if my number is right, if it's 14, folks, you only start 22. Again, Ed Ingram could return. So maybe the number, <laughs> um, as far as who's out, Cordell Flott's going to play, I think. Smith, could, Mason Smith could come back. Maybe if they want to deal it out against Texas A&M at the end of the year or try to but I mean it's not even walking wounded as Dan said it's scooting wounded and and if I picked a mid-level uh, let's just not you know to to diss anybody but like South Carolina if they were if they had 14 players who had started at one point this year and they were missing those players it would be devastating to Shane Beamer and that 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 team but you're not missing studs. LSU, you're missing some of the best players in all of college football, much less the SEC, much less that division. So that is a big, big, big reason, in addition to a lot of other unrelated ones that are all of Ed Ogeron's doing. That is a big reason why you're looking at the LSU season that you are right now.
1: It's always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today.
2: Nine states, 55 sticks, dealing about two hours a day. I appreciate everybody coming here for your college football conversation. And, folks, I'm going to call myself out. I embarrassed myself last week. I was on a Texas A&M um, podcast, a Zoom call And not only could I not come up with Antonio Johnson's first name, but I had that kid coming from Houston. Um, and so I explained this to my wife. That I had this professional meltdown, and she looked at me. She's like, I don't think anybody really cares. Uh, but if you're a Texas A&M fan, you care. If you're a Tennessee fan or a Clemson fan, you care, and you're supposed to, especially when you're talking about a defense that is just loaded with studs. Uh, I want to welcome on right now. Uh, I'm going to call him a good friend of mine. Uh, from texags.com, it is David Nuno. David, brother, how you doing today?
4: Friend, I had forgotten about that minor mistake. In fact, we actually brought you up on the show today, Dalton, my producer. He's like Dan over there for you guys. He told me he's like he was impressed that you knew Antonio Johnson. Like mean, that's impressive when you know that kind of player on the Texas A&M's defense has got a lot of stars on it.
2: Yeah, and and the point you had asked me about how uh, you know who could potentially match up with Georgia and Atlanta and how it would look. And I mean, Bama and A&M are the only you know two teams you're really going to talk about in that sense. And I was talking about A and M not just matching up well. Like I think that they would have the big advantage against Georgia's offense. Let's let's talk specifically about where the Aggies are on that side of the ball right now because it's it's supposed to be Demarvin Leal. Everybody knows Clemens because he's played forever. It's Tyree Johnson. It's 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 Antonio. Jo- I mean, it's all these kids. Hansford that most fans outside of the Aggie fan base don't know about. Just kind of go through that defense and talk about some of the additional studs.
4: So, I mean, another name, Edron Cooper, who's a redshirt freshman, who's playing great, did a great yep. job spying Bo Nix last week. I mean, honestly, Tyree Chappelle, a true freshman out there, wasn't expected to start, but has been playing a bulk of, of time here for the Aggies this year. Kind of got a little bit picked on in the Mississippi State game, but since then has really grown. If you look all over the defense, and like, and that's not to say some of the stars from years past, too. You don't hear their names as often, but early on, Leon O'Neal had the pick six in the first game of the season, two picks. He's been ferocious. Damani Richardson, All over this defense, they're getting guys creating pressure and really making Mike Elko's defense look even better after a rough week there where they only were sending three at Mississippi State. They've changed it around. They've gotten very aggressive with their blitzes. And and they're playing very good because they trust each other. And another thing I want to bring up, too, you brought up DeMarvin Leal, how good he is on the field. He's also so good off the field as well. Doesn't get enough credit. Last week, Devon Shane had a 68-yard run that ended up being a fumble, like a long punt, and the Aggies were trying to, you know, end the game against Auburn that would have certainly put the uh, the, yep. the nail in the coffin. He fumbles the ball to Marvin, the first one there picking him up and saying, "We got you, we got you." That's how this defense plays.
2: Uh, let's talk about one of those other uh, I'm gonna say unheralded and I don't know how you can play Texas A&M for four years and be unheralded but I don't think there's three people outside the Aggies fan base who really know who Tyree Johnson is and he's been just destroying quarterbacks
4: yeah so eight sacks on the year seven in his last four games he's been getting after it and I'll tell you what they feel his footsteps if it's If it's Tyree coming through, Bo Nix knew he had to look one way, and there he was. If not, it was going to be somebody else. He has really grown into a leader on this team, a name that we did not talk a lot about entering the season. Now we talk about him every week as being one of the the best defensive players in the SEC.
2: And one more guy I want to ask you about, Aaron Hansford, who I thought it was kind of a – I thought this could be big for A&M when he announced he was – because he's a super senior, right? sure yeah and when he announced all right i'm gonna come back and play one more year i thought that can be big because he's you know a linebacker and he may make the calls and he's you know experienced that'll be good it's been better than good i mean he has been as productive as any player on that defense and he looks like a guy who's been running around playing football for five or six years
4: yeah he's coming across great i mean he's a big big guy as you would expect as a linebacker six three 250 pounds can get after the quarterback he's got two sacks on the year he just brings an energy and a meanness you know like when we talk about Isaiah Spiller running the ball, he, he's such a nice kid, but he runs the ball like he's angry. That's kind of how Hansford plays as well, just an angry player uh, that has helped the defense. Again, they're getting complimentary pieces all over the place, which sometimes feel like a shot, but they're just so good all around. That, and, and that's why there's Georgia. And then I guess the next next team out there is AM when it comes to defense.
2: Oh, that's absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, continuing again, David Dunio, texags.com. A couple more minutes as we preview AM ahead of their old miss game. Uh, let's talk offense. And if you just, like, if you didn't pay attention to the scoreboard last Saturday, you would have thought that the AM offense scored at least three touchdowns because they just started ripping off yardage. Calzada had some big throws, but the ground game, out in the field, they would get yards. And then, I mean, credit the Auburn defense certainly. But um and that had to be, you win 20-3, to three, it's a great win, you move on. But but there is that concern. Why do we have so many field goals?
4: Yeah, there's a concern. I'll tell you this. Those numbers could have looked completely different had there not been as many drops or mental mistakes. Uh, six drops that I remember in that game, I think three of them from Jalen Watermeyer, yeah, was yeah. very reliable. Aniah Smith had a huge drop middle of the field would have been a 40 yard pickup putting them in in, in great territory. There was also the A-chain fumble that we talked about where they could have at least put them in field goal range if not a touchdown had he gotten another step. So, yes, there were some points that they did not score that they should have that they're going to have to this weekend against Ole Miss because, look, I know how good the Aggie defense is. There's no doubt about that. But Ole Miss, if healthy – can certainly move the ball. I don't think we're going to see the same old Miss team that played against Liberty last week. I think some of those wide receivers will come back. So the Aggies' offense is going to have to do their part by scoring seven, not three.
2: Uh, can I ask you just personal curiosity, where's Chase Lane at um, as far as getting back out on the field?
4: So he he's one of these guys, and honestly, I would say that the Aggies have – several wide receivers like Chase Lane that um, have gotten hurt, have kind of missed some action. You can say the same thing about Caleb Chapman who had a big catch last week. Um, he was one of their more reliable wide receivers last season. This year's kind of been in and out of the lineup. I do think that they're taking their time with him because they have options. Um, they don't have any bust-out receivers, let's say. Maybe Demas could turn into that, but they have a lot of reliable guys, and that's why they're able to take their time with Chapman.
2: All right. Let's talk uh, about the matchup with Ole Miss quickly. Obviously, you know, begins and ends with Matt Corral um, and a little bit of a depleted receiver core. Uh, there's been a lot more on Corral in the ground game. Um, we got about a minute and a half left. So you can run with it a little bit. Uh, just if it is Corral and Ely and Connor and the rest of the ground game, if that's going to be uh, a little bit more of the focus, uh, talk about the A&M defense uh, against that matchup.
4: Yeah, so uh, Matt Corral, banged up or not, is still one of the two, three best quarterbacks in all of college football. Uh, You know, especially that ankle, though. It's what is concerning that Aggie – uh, the Aggie defense has had some issues stopping mobile quarterbacks this season, more early on than, than the last few weeks. But early on, that's where they got themselves in the trouble when quarterbacks would buy time and, and run out the pocket. Matt Corral is a guy that they actually call plays for to run outside of the pocket. So depending on how his ankle is, it could open everything else up. As you know, though, that uh, Ole Miss offense is predicated on big plays and the running game. does a lot of it. They're not a running game. That'll give you four or five here and there. They break out and they have big time chunks so, the Aggie defense is going to have to be extremely disciplined, something that early on in the year, what you would see is first half, they would kind of give up some big plays and then figure things out in the second half and limit that. You saw that in the Colorado game, you saw that
2: oh, yeah, in the Arkansas
4: yeah. game, you certainly saw that in the Mississippi State game. So, they're going to have to be very disciplined and play two halves because going on, and by the way, let me just throw this in there, Chuck, this is Zach Calzado's first real test on the road because I don't think Denver was a test, I think Dallas was a neutral site game, and Missouri was
2: not a test. David Nuno, fist bump, brother. Appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Talk soon. All right, David Nuno again. texags.com. And when I say maybe a little less emphasis throwing the ball, maybe a little less. I think that's mostly because of either injuries at receivers or, or at receiver or other receivers still stepping up. Like John Rice Plumlee, he's still stepping up. He's got an emerging role. I don't know, Dennis Jackson or whomever, but. Matt Corral, for instance, 27 attempts versus Liberty, 24 against LSU two weeks ago, other games this year, 38, 31, 33, 30. So it's just a little bit of maybe more of a lean on the running game and maybe a little less of a lean in the running game on Matt Corral, Uh, but they're making it work and it is a loaded offense for sure, whichever way they decide to go. So. Uh, they're facing as good a defense as they've seen this year. Better than Alabama's, so that's for sure. And if they don't play Georgia, then, then that's kind of going to have the belt at the end of the year. So you'll get a real good measuring stick for everything that the Ole Miss offense really is capable of, as well as A&M getting a giant test to the goals for the rest of their season.
3: Let's get a look at some of those pro and college lines for the week, brought to you by BetUS. Hi, I'm Dan Matthews, and let's take a look at those odds. Let's start with Georgia at Tennessee for a mid-afternoon tilt on Saturday. Bulldogs a twenty-point favorite. Over/under is fifty-six. Texas A&M given two and a half at Ole Miss. Aggies are minus one thirty-five money line. Rebels are plus one fifteen. Over/under is fifty-seven. Oklahoma a five and a half point favorite at Baylor. Sooners are minus two twenty money line. Bears are plus one eighty. Over-under is 62. Ohio State, a home favorite against Purdue. Buckeyes are given 21 to the Boilermakers. The over-under, 62 and a hook. Let's go to the pros. Cleveland at New England on Sunday. Pats are a a two-and-a-half point favorite. New England minus 140 on the money line. Brownies plus 120. Over-under is 45-and-a-half. Falcons, a 10-point underdog against the Cowboys in North Texas. Dallas, minus 410 on the money line. Atlanta is 330. Over-under is 55. Saints are at the Titans. Tennessee giving three. The Titans are minus 145. Money line New Orleans is plus 125. Over-under is 44 and a hook. Sunday night football in Las Vegas. Chiefs at the Raiders. Kansas City favored by 2 and a hook. They are -140 money line. Las Vegas is 120. Over under is 52. How about a chance for you to make some money? We got a couple of really good promo codes for you. How about promo code SST125? With this promo code BetUS giving you a 125% sign up bonus for example. That first deposit is $100, you're getting an extra $125 using cryptocurrency. How about the promo code SST200? When you do this, you get 200% of a sign-up bonus on crypto deposits. So that first crypto deposit is $100. You're getting an extra $200 heading back your way. That's a look at the odds brought to you by BetUS, America's favorite sports book for over 25 years.
1: Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today.
2: All week, all year, it's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. Are we aware that as you're finishing your sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit in Waco on Saturday morning, you can step into a football game. OU will be there to play Baylor. Folks, Baylor's pretty good. They they play better than average defense, and they, they score as well as anybody in that conference, not name OU. Across the field, however, you've got an Oklahoma team that at times Lincoln Riley has hated them. At times Alex Grinch has hated them. At times there are fans who, the OU fans who have not liked them very much. I can tell you right now, the committee ain't impressed. Yet, I look up and they just keep winning. Playing with matches every Saturday? Absolutely. But they keep winning. And in this very college football season, that may be enough. Just to outlast everybody. Get to December 5th and you may be in the playoffs. Want to welcome on now a guy who does a tremendous job covering the team. Morning Drive at 1077 FM, the flagship for OU, as well as covering the team for Sooner Scoop. That's part of the Rivals Network of Sites. It is Eddie Radosevich. Eddie, how you doing today?
5: Chuck, what's going on? Uh, I think you said it best. This has uh, been the, the weirdest, strangest year uh, and I know that we'll get into it, but you're talking about an Oklahoma team that's nine and zero for the first time since 2004 on the nation's longest winning streak. And if you uh, you went door to door and asked Oklahoma fans what they thought of this team, you would think that you're talking about a two and seven, two and six team.
2: Uh, Let's let's break some of that down because there were things that I was (laughs) right about with Oklahoma and I would have guessed they were going to be nine and oh at this point. I was wrong about everything else because I was talking Spence Rattler. I was talking Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks was banished to third team. I got and I thought Alex Grinch would have maybe a top five defense nationally. Let's go through some of this. Um, How is the defense so much better with Caleb Williams and that 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 running part of his game?
5: yeah you know it's been it's certainly been a health uh, offensively and what Caleb Williams has brought uh you know on the defensive side of the football I think it's a matter of getting healthier and they are making the step in the right direction as far as that goes you know so much attention was talked about the the Kansas game for an example uh and the, and just kind of i i i, I, I I don't think it's over the top to say it was one of the more embarrassing first halves in the history of Oklahoma football uh, to go down 10 to nothing in Lawrence against the Kansas team. That's not even a bad Kansas team. It's a couple of tiers below that. and, they just—they have. It seems like if it's been one thing, it's been another uh, on the defensive side of the football. They've had uh, injuries at every level of uh, of their defense, whether it be on the defensive line with a guy like a Jalen Redmond, or in the backside. Uh, you know, Woody Washington's been out basically the entire year. Uh, DJ Graham's working his way back through injury. They've had injuries at safety with Dylan Turner, Yell as well. So, uh, for the first time in a long time, coming out of a bye week, it feels like they're healthier. Than, uh, maybe they've ever been and I think that there's a reason for uh, positivity they feel like they took a step in the right direction uh, last time out against Texas Tech and uh, it kind of goes into uh, the beginning of November and what they've called championship November a month they haven't lost in since Lincoln Riley has taken over as head coach and uh, you know surely you look at the schedule with Baylor coming up this weekend in a top 15 matchup despite Baylor uh, misstep last week in Fort Worth they feel like uh, it could be the start of, of a good, solid run and a run that they feel like, you know, kind of a lot of people at the beginning of the season with the expectations that went into the year that uh, they feel like they could be a legitimate contender for the national title. But there's just so much unknown. It, it's crazy to sit here and talk about Oklahoma and uh, the second week in November. And you really don't know what this team is because uh, they, they haven't been able to play. Uh, you know, a complete football game this season. But they feel like they're headed in the right direction, and it kind of starts on Saturday.
2: It, it does. And again, I said, is a team. They play better than average defense. They're, they're, they're okay over there. Iowa State, sure. I think, is a – and that's, folks, they got Baylor, Iowa State, Oak State, and then I presume a conference championship game after that. Here's the weird thing. Baylor's as good on defense as they are on offense, in my opinion. Iowa State's a good defensive team. I don't know what happened against West Virginia, but they're a good defensive team. And Oklahoma State, for people who haven't watched them, I mean, confirm. They're winning on defense. This is not, you know, Brandon Whedon and 500 yards a game. This is the Big 12 we're talking about, and that's what Oklahoma has to go through in November. Three pretty tough teams defensively.
5: Yeah, which is is such an interesting dynamic because I think everybody thinks about Oklahoma offensively and and rightfully so, and and we'll get to Caleb Williams and what he's been able to do. But, uh, you know, he's completed 74% of his passes. He has a touchdown ratio of 14 to 1. Uh, in the games since he's taken over for Spencer Rattler, but you look at the back half of the schedule, and there's the three toughest defenses that Oklahoma will face all season uh, until they were to get to a you know a bowl game or whoever they play uh, in the postseason. And you're right. I mean, Oklahoma State's extremely good defensively. Iowa State's extremely good defensively. You're talking about two of the top ten uh, or the top five uh, defenses in the country statistically in total defense. So, uh, and then you have a Dave Aranda defense that you know has given Oklahoma and Lincoln-Riley problems before. Uh, So it's going to be kind of interesting. I think there's a little bit of of kind of a hold your breath with uh, Caleb Williams, particularly the two games on the road in Waco and Stillwater. Uh, They're going to be atmospheres that, you know, I think there's a lot of people to look at what he was able to do in the Cotton Bowl and and the way that he was able to step into the OU Texas game, the poise uh, that he was able to handle things. But it's going to be a little bit different when you go on the road and everybody's against you. Uh, it, it should be really interesting. And I think that, you know, it, it starts on the ground for Oklahoma. They're going to have to be able to run the ball. And that's something that Oklahoma has been able to do. Uh, you know, even when Lincoln Riley really was the uh, offensive coordinator under Bob Stoops, and even in 2015 and 2016, they were able to run the ball late in games and especially. Uh, when you get into uh, situations that you never know what the wind's going to be like, especially over here in kind of the Plains country. So um, it's imperative that they get that group up front to start playing a little bit better and they feel like it's, they've taken steps. It's just not where I think a lot of people kind of figure Bill will offensive lines usually are at this time of the year.
2: Wrapping up with Eddie Radosovich again. Morning Drive, 1077 FM, flagship of OU. Uh, also uh, works for Rivals, that uh, network of sites that Rivals has for every team. Sooner Scoop is where you can find him. Um, I want to ask you about Kennedy Brooks before I let you run and Eric Gray, the ground game. But first, Brooks, because I was hearing in the off season. Uh, he's at least second team. He may be third. He's going to have to fight for carries what's here for him. Um, and now he's as good as any running back in that conference, including Brees Hall. Um, how, take me back. What was all that chatter about and why has the season turned out so much better for Brooks?
5: Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. I think that there's a lot of people, there's just nothing flashy about it. Uh, and, and and Lincoln has even kind of described the way that he runs as, as kind of a walk in the park on a Sunday because There's nothing terribly flashy about it. And then you look up and you go, huh, he just picked up 6.7 yards of carry or he just picked up nine yards of carry. And, uh, you know, he opted out of the 2020 season. I think that there was a lot of people that kind of, I guess in a way, kind of forgot about him. But all of a sudden you look up, he's the fourth uh, Oklahoma running back to ever rush for a thousand yards in three seasons, uh, joining a pretty elite company with Adrian Peterson, DeMond Parker and Samadji P. Ryan. So uh, he's probably going to finish his career as maybe one of the most unheralded guys. I don't know what his, uh, you know, production level will end up being on a Sunday. I think he could still run the ball for somebody, but uh, he's just a very solid running back. And I think if Oklahoma wants to make a run, if they want to, uh, get to where they want to be, uh, you know, at the end of this month, it's going to be because they found something on the ground game. And uh, Kenny Burke's going to be a, a big part of that. And I think a guy that that uh, maybe a, a lot of people don't know about, and he was ineligible for half of the season. But Marcus Majors, the guy that came on at the end of last year, he went through uh, some academic issues at the beginning of this season. He got a couple carries late against Texas Tech. It's going to be interesting to see how he kind of figures into things because Eric Gray just hasn't been a guy that I think uh, that they expected him to be, especially between the tackles. So between the three of them and then obviously what Caleb Williams is able to do with his legs, uh, you know, I, they they feel like the offense is starting to round into form and uh, – Again, it's going to be it's going to be an ultimate test to see what they can do against these three defenses they face here to end the regular season.
2: Last thing I want is just a, a quick, maybe just a little bit more of a, a drill down on Eric Gray and his season because early in the year they were trying to give him some run, and I mean, I I was wrong about Eric Gray. I thought he was going to explode and that offense two way player is going to be a great 2021. And after about mid season, he's done a lot more watching than playing.
5: Yeah hasn't come together and I think that you know it might be a little bit of a product of Oklahoma struggles running the ball just overall and uh, they like sticking with guys that have the hot hand more times than not it's been Kennedy Brooks Uh, it will be interesting though usually in November Lincoln Riley likes drawing up some things and getting guys in space and I think that that kind of fits Eric Gray's mold a little bit more than turning it around and handing the ball off to him. So maybe they get him involved more in the screen game. Maybe they get him more involved you know, outside the edges. And <laughs> let's be honest, the the, the the biggest problem for Oklahoma has just been possession flat out. I mean, you look at the Nebraska game, you look at the Kansas state game, uh, you know, games that they've not had a whole lot of possessions. We're talking eight or nine for the entire game, as opposed to, uh,
2: yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) um can I ask you one one final question just give me your uh because I'm assuming it comes up on the show sometimes give me your 30 seconds your 60 seconds on Lincoln Riley coaching anywhere outside of Norman Oklahoma whether it's Sundays whether it's Baton Rouge whatever
5: I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, especially when you look at what they've been able to do. And you know, I think building in the recruitment side of things, uh, I don't think that he would walk away from a quarterback like Caleb Williams, who's going to be in Norman for, a, for sure uh, next two seasons after this year. Uh, honestly, I don't ever see him taking another college job. Now, if Oklahoma were to win a couple of national titles and all of a sudden that NFL opportunity presents itself... I could probably buy into that because I do think that Lincoln Riley's is one of those guys that has kind of a checklist and of boxes that he wants to accomplish. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's pretty dead set that they're building a home. Him and his uh, wife, Caitlin, are building a massive home in Norman. I know that's not going to exactly tie him to the university, but, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people that see the uh, the flight tracker season and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's it's kind of a joke and it, it's kind of funny too. The, the the flight that came that left from Norman to go to Baton Rouge this past week is actually a big OU booster that was flying back home to Baton Rouge and took a picture and put it on Twitter. So I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And I know that makes Oklahoma fans uneasy, but then again, it's kind of like we remind everybody: it's a good thing when your coach is getting. Uh, getting named and all this kind of stuff because that means he's doing something
2: right. Eddie, thanks for the insight, brother. Do it again soon.
5: Absolutely, guys. Anytime.
2: All right. Eddie Radosevich again, 1077. FM yonder in Oklahoma. Um, You know the weird thing about college football coaches that wherever it is, when you get broke off and you decide to build a home, do you know what on so many campuses where you're dealing with, for instance, and we're talking college football here, a college football power. Do you know Do you know what comes to mind every time I hear about a college coach building a new home for himself? It's not, well, he may get fired. It's There's no one else in that town who can afford that house except the next coach. When you live in Oxford, there's money in Oxford. When you live in Oxford and you build a $3.5 million house, Folks, there's some money in Memphis. Memphis is a poor city, really, like poor, 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 poor. There's money in Memphis, though. Somebody's got it. Go Google your computer. Look at the home that Justin Fuente was trying to sell when he was moving away from Memphis. The only person who can afford that is either Penny Hardaway, the basketball coach, one of the Grizzlies, maybe not even Ryan Silverfield, the head coach, Mike Norvell, who followed him. When you build a giant home, I don't know, like Baton Rouge is at least state capital. When you build a giant home outside Murfreesboro, there's a chance you can't afford it. So God bless Lincoln Riley for building, I don't know, I'm going to say $4.5 million house. There aren't a lot of people in Norman who can afford to buy that if you decide to go coach the Philadelphia Eagles. And you better hope that the next head coach likes your choice of chair rail and crown molding. Uh, who was it? Brady Hoke. I remember Brady Hoke trying to sell his house in Ann Arbor. And Ann Arbor is not a small little college town. I mean, I, I understand that. But Ann Arbor is not exactly the place where there's a lot of $4 million, uh, a lot of people looking to buy $4 million homes. So it just every, – every time I see a coach – either building the house or when he gets hired or fi- will must champ. Now he actually moved away. I remember from Columbia, the big story was he was living in his house on a lake and I was like, Oh, so that's Lake property. That's a little different in Columbia again, state capital. But in some of these locales where there are big time college football coaches and they're dropping 4 million or whatever it is on a home, I remember Lane did that. I saw Lane's house in L.A. That, he, in fact, go look at that. Wow, in in Los Angeles after he got canned at USC, and who was his was his what was his wife's name? Lolana? Layla? Layla? Layla. I think she got the house. Wow, but it was in Los Angeles, which means you got nothing but people who can
3: afford it. Well, I always remember TMZ catching up with him at LAX, and they were like Lane, your house, and he just kind of looked like just like. A side eye at yeah. them and said, yeah, it's a pretty nice house.
2: You should buy it. And he kept walking. It, 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 and in California, there's a bunch of them. It's not so in in probably Starkville. It's just not. All right. Uh, we're going to break. We'll come back wrap up on a Thursday next.
1: Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show.
5: I just think like when, when it comes down to it, these guys like him who are, you know, these edge rushers, they see a pathway to the NFL that's pretty clear at both Alabama and Georgia because you look at a guy like Will Anderson, walks in, is immediately playing, is immediately dominant, and he just has to do his three years, and he's going to be a top-ten pick.
2: Woody Womack, rivals. We were talking Cruton yesterday and edge guys like Shade Tree Jr., who is not really looking at Florida State very much. Um, we were talking about who he may be looking at and other edge rushers in general. And Woody, who he covers recruiting full-time, he's like, you look at these edge guys. If you get a scholarship offer to Georgia and Bama and it's a real offer, you can take it. It's like, it, pretty clear. Go to Bama or Georgia, potentially play just three years, off to the NFL. The end of the rainbow. Walk outside, just like cake falling out of the sky. That's what it is. So I appreciate Woody coming on. Dan will be here in just a minute, but right now I'm going to wrap this up with a closing argument. The King's Closing
1: Arguments, presented by the best closing attorneys in the business, Alexander
2: Shanara and Associates. Kirby found another recruiting hustle, and all of us should be a little dissatisfied because of, because of it. Kirby has decided that USC's recruiting class, Southern Cal, that is his next buffet, And when I say all of us should be a little dissatisfied because all of us who are fans of any program other than Georgia should be dissatisfied. You should be dissatisfied that it's Kirby picking those bones clean and not your coach. First, five-star, Mikel Williams. He flips from Southern Cal to Georgia. He's a five-star defensive lineman. Aren't many of them. Committed to USC, decided, yeah, no. Now it might be Kirby just winning the commitment from four-star Christian Miller outright, with USC as the only remaining challenge currently. It doesn't take much brain power to realize the Trojans' current list of commits is there for the taking. Inside the athletic department, as we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, they've actually decided to back away from most official visits, on, or from some official visits less official visits fewer because it has been working against them went back and look at the roster of recruits for the Arizona game 2 weeks back so the kids show up team's not good there is no atmosphere there's about 35,000 people in the stands you don't have a head coach uh, seriously like It's like you're going to have a Super Bowl party. Everybody gets there, and you got a six-pack of Miller and a bucket from the Colonel. Like, that's there's a party. We're ready. What, you're not having a good time? Contrast that with the very next Saturday, because you know what a five-star defensive lineman can do every single Saturday? Go to a game. He goes to Tuscaloosa. He goes to Athens. He goes anywhere other than the L.A. Coliseum totally different experience and by the way every kid in Athens let me tell you the dirty little secret this season it's not a dirty little secret it has been a horrid home schedule for UGA you can't tell it by looking at the stands at Sanford and the entire game day experience good for Kirby they had a really important game there all year good for Kirby and really really good for the UGA fans for making that statement true that is my closing argument what up Dan
3: Oh, not much. And I'll tell you what, next week they're going to be full for Charleston Southern coming in there as well. Because, of course, it is senior day, and last year you didn't get that. So they got that going for them there in Athens. You know, I actually want to harken back to something that uh, I think you kind of just threw out there, and then you kept the car moving. And that is when you were talking about Oklahoma, about how they continue to win, but they still don't get any run in the playoff committee voting for the rankings, which this week, number eight, and all those different types of things, Chuck, I think I have it figured out. We have to remember that the college football playoff at the end of the day is a TV show. And I have to really truly believe that when it really gets down to it, there's at least enough dissenting voices in that room for the 12 person committee or however many they have. It's probably an an odd number just so you make sure that you are able to come to some sort of consensus but they're probably looking at it and saying hey right or wrong this oklahoma team every single time except for 2017 in the cotton or, or excuse me in the rose bowl they have just absolutely fallen flat on their face the orange bowl The Chick-fil-A kickoff or uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl a couple of years ago. And then even to when they played against Alabama with Kyler Murray a couple of years ago in the Orange Bowl that they still did not have a great showing in that. I've got to believe that that is also creeping into the minds because, yes, I get it that they have won all season long, but the wins have not necessarily looked all of that impressive. I think the committee's kind of already trying to give themselves an out with Oklahoma that if nothing else, do we have Oregon? Nope. Do we have Ohio State? Nope. I guess Oklahoma. That's pretty much what I think that they're looking at them for right now. It's the sins of their past that are also hurting them right now in their quest to be in that final four.
2: They're not five right now or four and getting people's attention if they wind up not being in the final four on December 5th. Uh, They are down at eight or nine or wherever they were last week and so it will still be a rise and that kind of puts it on Oklahoma so it is sort of a slow play there from the committee David great job today Dan great job everybody listening great job me well I'll be here again tomorrow I promise you 22 hours I will recharge the batteries be back with more college football conversation right here on the Chuck Oliver show